This is Window on the East, a podcast from BNE IntelliNews. Subscribe at bne.eu. Hello and welcome to Window on the East with me, Ben Aris, the editor of BNE IntelliNews. After nearly 30 years, many of the emerging markets have actually emerged. Countries like Russia are already classed as a high-income country by the UNDP. Others like India and China are seeing an emerging middle class growing quickly. The change is being seen in the fund industry too, where the line between emerging market and developed market is beginning to blur. This capital is a good example. It famously set up in the 90s with a Russia fund that focused on the emerging middle class and made a lot of money. However, in the last 18 months, it's bought 24 funds, including developed market funds, as the business starts to mature and a question of scale has become important. I talked to Albin Rosgren, who's one of the principals at East Capital, about these changes and what's going on in general. So, Albin, good to talk. Um, Things seem to be moving forward. Um, I was reading a news item recently that East Capital uh, has recently bought um, a Swedish fund, a smaller one, and the suggestion was that the market's changed and that there's now a necessity uh, to be of a certain scale uh, in order to, to function. Well, what, what exactly is going on? Is there a consolidation in funds looking at emerging markets, Eastern Europe in particular? Uh, that is a very good question because actually we have not been that focused on Eastern Europe in particular when it comes to uh, consolidations. Uh, but to answer your question uh, in one word, absolutely, there is a, a big consolidation going on in the industry. And um, uh, we have, I believe, acquired something like 18 different funds over the last, uh, shall we call it, 24 months or, or, or something like that. And these have been both EM and developed markets, actually. Uh, so there is definitely a lot of change going on, and there are several uh, different catalysts uh, why why this is happening right now. I would say. So two things. I mean, should it, you know, East Capital is famous for for setting up in Eastern Europe, and the Russia funds, which famously, what does it lose? Two thousand? No, it lost eight hundred percent in the first six months, but eventually made two thousand percent return um, in the subsequent ten years. And you've been expanding and taken on China as well um, with another fund that you acquired several years ago. But two things there. Um, the focus is moving away from emerging markets as an asset class because they've kind of emerged. And at the same time, um, consolidation in the fund industry anyway. Can you deal with the, the, the first one? Um, your, your focus on EM is changing, is it? Broadening. Uh- uh, I wouldn't say that, actually. I, I think you're right that uh, there there is a lot of changes in EM, and when I, I would say especially when it comes to in, index composition. Uh, and I think the, the big elephant in the room is, of course, the emergence of China that is going to become such a large part of the index. And this is forcing changes within EM index, I believe, over the coming five years or so, uh, which may, uh, you know, work to redefine our view on what we classify as emerging and developed and and how we break down the emerging universe. But I wouldn't say that those changes have anything to do actually with with what we are doing at East Capital. And um, 
I, I would actually not even connect those, those two. I think when it comes to East Capital, we remain uh, completely dedicated to uh, um, emerging markets and and the East Capital brand will always have an emerging and frontier market focus. H- having said that, I think what uh, I would say all managers, both EM and, and uh, developed markets, would, would would benefit from more today than ever before. It's, of course, an understanding of what's going on globally and what's going on on the markets that you're not covering, what's going on in macro, what's going on in tech. Um, so I don't necessarily think it's bad to have a, a broader range of funds and, and, the, and, and covering more markets. But the way we do it at this capital is that <clears throat> these capital funds will remain only emerging market and then we will have a separate boutique uh, with a completely segregated PM team that will do um, uh, developed markets. But of course, there can be a lot of mutual benefit of, of, of having both. So what exactly have you bought? You say 18 funds. And why did you buy them? Well, I would say that uh, the, the starting point is why, why do someone want to sell? And, and I think that explains where we, why, where we are in, in, in terms of the industry. And I, I think there is a lot of funds that are facing, I mean, all funds are facing tougher regulation, higher cost of regulation, not, not only tougher regulation. Uh, it's becoming more complex to run an asset manager, uh, which means that you need to have better general management. You need to have more in-house resources. And I think a lot of funds, uh, when we were, when you and I were talking 10, 15 years ago and, and you were following us, there were a lot of interesting smaller managers coming up and they could do well on they could survive on, on $50 million and they could <clears throat> run a business on 100 or $200 million. I think those days are long gone. Uh, today, uh, you need much bigger scale to be able to efficiently at least run a, a business. And uh, still, there are a lot of managers out there which have funds which are 100 or 200 or even $500 million, And uh, they're struggling to, to meet the future requirements or they are as individuals, not necessarily interested in running the business of an asset, man- as asset management business and, and rather focus on the, on the portfolio side. So I think those are all reasons for why, so basically subscale increasing costs is, is, is a big part of it. Uh, in addition, I think also as we have uh, moved forward in time, we, um, we see that allocations from institutions are becoming more difficult to to win uh, because they put higher requirements on you as a manager from an operational point of view, not only from a performance point of view. And they also want larger funds to allocate to because their allocations are bigger and they don't want to dominate uh, an individual fund. So I think there are, there are many reasons for... Uh, there are strong logics for, for consolidation and slightly bigger funds. And, and we see a clear opportunity not to become an, you know, a mundi of the world, but, but rather to become a, a, a slightly bigger but still boutique-oriented asset manager. So how much do you have in uh, assets under management at the moment, and how has that changed? Uh, we uh, are about to, I guess, publish our second quarter numbers soon, 
Uh, so I haven't seen the, the final numbers, but we are roughly at 5 billion euros at the moment. Um, if we go back a bit in time, I would say that we have, if you generalize a little bit, we have moved from 3 billion to 5 billion. And uh, not all of that is, is from acquisitions. Uh, we've also had some organic growth and we're growing uh, uh, within different fields of, of, of what we were doing before as well. But, but a significant part of it has come from acquisitions. Mm. And these funds, um, in, specifically, what do the, the funds do that you've taken on? I mean, do they have particular mandates? Are they particular niches uh, or particular client base? Yeah, so in um, if, if we take our... our, our our starting point was to find assets that fully overlapped with what we were doing, just to add more economies of scale to, to the products, which would allow us to absorb more costs and also over time to lower our fees. Um, as we moved forward, we realized that also, of course, we should be looking at uh, complementary funds to what we're doing. And I think the biggest uh, uh, change, if you look at East Capital brand as it was before and now is that as a result of these acquisitions, we have a uh, also started to manage more bonds and uh, we have a balanced EM fund as part of our range now. And that fund came about as we acquired balanced funds, uh, which had the same risk profile, uh, which were investing globally and in emerging markets. But we have uh, shifted their focus a little bit to be more EM focused. Uh, so I would say that that is one of the one of the changes. But otherwise, assets that we have acquired have generally overlapped uh, with with the business that we had up until uh, the acquisition of this uh, Swedish focused boutique that you mentioned before, which is a a global platform. Uh, so it's basically investing uh, globally in equities, globally in bonds, uh, both pure equity balance and balanced. And how's that um, changed the returns that you've been making? I mean, East Capital in the glory days, the boom years, the noughties, you know, was was making fantastic returns. But of course, since two thousand and eight, um, the, the markets have become a lot more difficult. And two thousand fourteen sixteen was particularly hard. Um, although the market in Eastern Europe, Russia in particular, is doing extremely well this year. Um, but doesn't that mean that your, your returns have been volatile in these very difficult conditions? Uh, I, 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 I mean, personally, I don't see any connect, to, to be honest, between the, the uh, size of the assets and the returns, as long as you're talking about reasonably large funds. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right that 2014 to 16 were, were difficult years. Uh, for a stock picker, and especially I would say in Eastern Europe, Russia, where we have a consumer focus, and 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 uh, that was not a particularly good focus when the economy was slowing and purchase power was not increasing like it was uh, in the old days, uh, and also we had a lot of geopolitical turbulence not only in that region but globally. So I would say that that was a particularly difficult period, but but it did not really have anything to do with acquisitions and, and actually it was only towards the end of that period that we that we started buying uh, uh, acquiring a fund uh, so actually I wouldn't say there is there is a connect between uh, the two of these and and the funds that we uh, had uh, in in 2014 remain with the same focus the difference would be that 
uh, we have uh, chosen to close down our Turkey fund. And we had before a dedicated uh, Turkey focus fund, which we uh, have now consolidated into a broader fund. And I would say that move was uh, uh, 100% connected to the fact that uh, single country funds, and especially for, for markets which are smaller, doesn't really have an institutional appeal. So uh, that decision to turn it into a broader regional fund uh, was something that we think fits better with what, what our investors want. But you, you still have a Russia fund, don't you? Yeah, of course. And Russia is, a, of course, a key market globally and a market that draws a lot of interest. And uh, I think the difference between Turkey and Russia is that Turkey is also a very interesting market, but one that investors typically uh, want to access through a broader product. And for, for those who want to access that market, we have both a, a Balkan fund, which invests largely into Turkey, and we have the Eastern European fund. Uh, so uh, I think there are still good ways to, to access that market. But when you look at Russia, obviously, it's a market that always draws interest, both from uh, institutions and from uh, you know more private type of investors or high net worth. Uh, so we're, we're, we're not in any way or looking to, I would say, ever consolidate the Russia fund yes. into, into anything else. And I think Russia is also a key market uh, globally. So, so you, you it had still well. remains a core, core offering to us. <laughs> you, you had as well a, a Ukraine fund, but that, that one ended up getting closed down as well, didn't it? Yeah, that got closed down. Uh, and that was actually before uh, the, the turbulence that you mentioned before. And it was also a fund which was a bit more fixed life fund. So it had a uh, initial time period of four years and then it had a liquidation period. Mm -hmm. So it was part of these funds that we ran that had kind of a, they could be prolonged, but they had a, still kind of a expiration date, if you call it that. So uh, we managed that for a while, then we liquidated and those who wanted to stay uh, reinvested assets with us in either our broader Eastern European fund or in our frontier fund, which is also looking at Ukraine. Yeah, and Ukraine, Ukraine is, is coming into an interesting uh, period. I mean, provided that Zelensky does well in the um, parliamentary elections in, in uh, this month, um, then it could be another, I don't know, um, round of enthusiasm that is finally going to get its act together. Uh, we shall see. But as a last question, looking forward, though, um, the develop well, the emerging markets, as I said before, are looking increasingly developed. Um, where do you see the opportunities? I mean, what are you looking at with all the funds you have under your management? I mean, you've broadened your reach. You've got more into fixed income. Um, you're starting to look like less like a sort of plucky adventurer that you were wandering around in Siberia in the 90s looking for opportunities. Now it's it's a bit more sort of, I don't know, normal. Um, where, where do you think the growth is going to come from in the, in the future? Well, to begin with, I think we are as uh, nerdy as we were before <laughs> going around in Siberia plucking opportunities, as, as you say. Uh, but I think our 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 uh, our duty towards our investors is to create returns. And I think what has happened over the last decade is, of course, that capital flows and what the market focuses on has shifted. So I would say that the the, the really 
niche ideas can be really good, but they, they struggle to, to attract capital. So I would say that it's not only us, but all, all of our peers that, that are very specialized have moved in the direction of having a slightly bigger focus on, on, on the index names in, in, uh, on the markets that we cover, because that's, that's where you see a lot of capital flows. It doesn't mean that we shifted our uh, way of thinking and rationalizing about markets, but it means that we need to be slightly more strict on, on where, where we place the money. So I would say that that is probably the, uh, the, the it's more a result of market reality than a result of us uh, choosing to, to shift our focus in, in any way, I would say. Uh, and in terms of where the opportunities are, I mean, it's, uh, it's uh, <clears throat> I would say that it, that question can be answered in different ways. It can be answered right here, right now. And I would say that uh, one thing that we have seen clearly is that even though uh, there are opportunities for boutique managers such as ourselves to grow, generally uh, the uh, geopolitical situation globally and, and I would say that the macro, the focus on macro has driven uh, investors to focus a lot more on developed markets over the last few years and I think we have maybe from a cyclical point of view still to see that emerging market could have a comeback and uh, more generally get into to, to the part of a cycle where where, where investors want to increase their allocations to these markets and we haven't really seen that so that i would say is like a, a big opportunity so the allocation to emerging markets has generally been going down a little bit and i think in an, within not too long future we could be we could see that trend reverse but of course it, it's also linked to investors coming back to markets overall because i don't think we've ever seen so much money on the sidelines as we're seeing right now so that's those two are, are of of course uh, linked together. When we look more more structurally, I, I would say that uh, with what we started talking about with the index changes, I would say that obviously China is something that we are getting a lot of questions on and a lot of interest in. Uh, I'm not saying that investors are throwing themselves over uh, China, given the uh, discussions we have now on on trade agreements or potential uh, prolonged trade conflicts. But there is a massive interest in this market, and China are doing the steps that MSCI wants them to do to open up the market, which means that we are going to see China emerge as a bigger a taker of, of capital flows. And I think that, that, that can also trigger a bigger interest in emerging markets again, uh, after having had a period where maybe the BRIC countries have been less in focus, and I think China can step up and, and draw some of the interest back to emerging markets. Um, uh, Return-wise, I mean, obviously, you, you were asking about Russia. I mean, Russia, if, if you look at it top-down, I think basically all the big index constituents are below their average historical valuations, which are way below the average valuations of emerging markets in general. I don't think we've ever seen as high direct um, dividend yield from, from the Russian markets as we're seeing now. And Russia seems to have very sound uh, uh, exactly, macroeconomic fundamentals. And growth is, is, is returning, but maybe not aggressively, but it's returning and, and, and companies are doing well. And on top of that, you have very good entrepreneurs and situations which have maybe not been in the spotlight over the last few years. So I think 
obviously it's easy to see that there are opportunities in in a place like Russia. Mm. It's also easy to see that given the changes to the frontier index and which has not really benefited the frontier markets, that those markets have, have not attracted inflow in a while. And I think there is a lot of opportunities in frontier markets if investors are willing to 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 revisit them as an as, as an allocation. Great. Abin, we're out of time. Um, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, talk. It was fascinating. Um, I'm sure the, the next 10 years are going to be as interesting as the last 10 years. Thank you. Let's hope so. <laughs> All the best. All the best.